Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, audio rolling. Welcome back to the Detroit Is Different podcast. Y'all already know where we at now. We in full swing of what's labeled as back to school season, fall season, uh, a lot of things changing. But really the anchor of most of this is, you know, you walk in the aisles of the different places you go and you see all these notebooks, you see crayons, you see pencils, you see paper, you see so much more. Actually, if you have a child, the, the back to school list nowadays have gotten a lot thicker. Um, but we're going to talk about more than that. We're going to really talk about not the supplies. We're going to talk about actually what the supplies are used for. Education, growing, and connecting with our population. Black students. You know we love that here at Detroit. It's different. So, back in the studios, I have somebody special that's engaged on all facets and even organized the people that educate. Rennie Lee, how are you today? I am well today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? Everything's cool. Everything's cool. All right, so with this, um, I'm going to kick off the usual Detroit is different style. Okay. Um, and then we're going to get into all the particulars about what I just gave you all. Um, so family, friend, like what led your family to Detroit? Uh, are you first generation, second generation? What, what brought your people to the D? Um, so my people aren't in the D. My people are still in California. I am, I, am, I will be the first generation Okay, here. well then, all right, that's even a bigger <laughs> one. Where at in Cali? I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I was wow. born in Oakland, raised in Richmond. Um, mm. So for you folks, Coach Carter, uh, that's the city that I'm from. Mm. Um, it reminds me a lot of Flint, you know, post-industrial, mm-hmm. um, working class town. Um, um, just kind of like here. And I think that's kind of what drew me here because uh, it reminded me of home. Um, that and I came out here for, for grad school and just never went back. Um, no, are, sorry. Go ahead. All right. So that always people that transplant and get here in, in the Bay Area has a lot of um, mm-hmm. a lot of Detroit feel. You know, it's I, I would go as far as to say like E40 and Spice One and Too Short and that whole you know it, it's it's very similar. But even the revolutionary acts of like you know the Black funk Panthers. It's a lot mm-hmm. of connections between both. But what did your family say when you were like? I think I'm going to stay in this Detroit area. What was the response? Um, when are you coming back? Hilarious. Right, right. Um, and the same sort of question, well, why are you still there? What's the draw? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, not just because it reminds me of home, but um, it's hard for me to articulate. There is something important about Detroit. Um, there's that, that, that saying, you know, like, so Detroit goes, so the country goes, um, in terms of, like, being a, a North Star geographically and in terms of, like, our political movement as a people. Um, this is a very important place. Um, so I felt um, no hesitation to commit to staying here and working here because mm. um, it felt like I was working at home. Um, the things I would be doing at home, I would be doing here. Um, but, um, again, I still don't know exactly why I'm here, but I know I'm supposed to be here. Because mm. I, I can only imagine. I always wonder, like, from the outside when you come here and when your friends and family are like, all right, what, what you do? What's going on? You know what I'm saying? Because it's like a home away from home. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the part of the blackness, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, and I feel comfortable here. I feel um, that it's more than okay to, to serve and work here. Mm -hmm. um, so, All right, so, so now let's talk a little bit about, you said grassroots brought you here. Mm -hmm. What were some of your first impressions just being in the city? Like what stood out? Um, the beautiful black people and just how friendly folks were. Um, and it's that, that, that instant home connection. Hey, sis, how you doing? Um, actually, like, looking in your face and your eyes and, like, you know, greeting um, the food. Okay. <laughs> the food is great. Um, the city skyline, um, the neighborhoods, um, everything. It's the, it's the strength. And, yes, there's struggle, um, but I'm used to that, too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the juxtaposition, excuse me, juxtaposition of the cityscape and then, you know, the hood um, and how do you make that work in a way that, that that's good for us. Mm -hmm. um, I saw the city still kind of working that out and I wanted to be a part of working that out so that we thrive and not just survive, right? Um, and that's the kind of thing I would be doing wherever I was. But again, I was like I was saying for I don't know exactly why I'm here, but I know I'm supposed to be. Um, so it just feels right. Okay, so in that same vision of feeling right, work. What what were what were some of the things you said? Grad school brought you here, mm -hmm. so let's even stop there. Okay, at grad school, um, because you graduate, then work. You stay here. What what were you working on? What were you doing? Uh, what was the job that kept you grounded? Um, so if I can be totally honest, um, I finished the master's degree and. So I should tell you, I came here to get a master's degree in education okay. because Michigan State at the time was the number one teacher prep program in the nation. Hmm. And I'd come from Stanford. I'm like, if I'm going you know, to do this education thing, um, finally found my calling, I'm going to go to the best place to go. And so that's what brought me to Michigan. Um, and then, if I can be honest again, East Lansing is is not a comfortable, wasn't a comfortable space. And so hmm. we was hitting the deed to get our black fix. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's what like drew me to that. And I've been trying to get to, you know, Detroit from East Lansing or Ypsilanti um, for years. So I've mm -hmm. actually only been in like the city area for the past two or three years, been trying mm -hmm. to get there because I was doing grad school in East Lansing. Then after that, I worked at Eastern for three years um, and then um, was trying to still do the state thing in East Lansing. I was like, I was ready to leave the state. But mm. I had a mentor was like, you know, because um, I was trying to go to Chicago. I'm trying to go to the blackest city I can get to. Okay. Right. Um, and my mentor was like, you know, well, what about Detroit? She's like, you can still work here, but try living in Detroit. Um, and um, one weekend I was just like, my lease is about to be up. I got to move close to the city. And I was trying to get in the city, but that didn't happen. So like Ferndale, I'm like half a mile from the city. Right. Mm -hmm. So close enough um, for now. Anyway, still trying to get to the city. Anyway, my point is that um, where was I going with that? You, you, you were me? you were at like so so you you were kind of already connecting more with the city because it's like I gotta get my hair done, I want my food season <laughs> the right way, I want I want to see my people, uh, I want to be able to use some slang the right way, I want, I want the jokes, I want the culture to, to feel a certain way as you know most of us you know in, in the Detroit area you know we we traveled to East Lansing we've been in Ypsi it's just. It's a little different. It's a lot different, mm. right? And so when you are in East Lansing um, and you're looking for the black connection, all the folks come from the D. Yeah. So you got to go where the folks are from. Yep. And so it was really as simple as that. You know, um, I was either in Detroit or in Flint because mm -hmm. I needed to be with my people. Yeah. So 
in this in these trips and that connection just working in education so first we got to shout out who your mentor is who's your mentor uh well one of my mentors her name is sonia gunnings moton um, she's currently retired from Michigan State University's College of Education, um, but that was the individual who um, poured into me um, when I was a master's student. I just come here from California and I didn't know anybody, and um, and I was just kind of struggling with the resources. And everybody's like, "You got to go talk to Dr. Gunnings," um, and so I called her up and and was talking to her. And actually, you know, I was ready to. Uh, go back home after my mm. first semester and she was like just stay you know come have a conversation with me and um, she ended up hiring me for a summer program and um, you know the rest is history right um, so she was one of the the main reasons why like I stayed after my first semester of, of grad school so dr. Gunnings what what was uh, what's the what's the background what was the impression I definitely like I mean that's that's beyond like to go in and ask for some support and then walk away with a job that's big so like what was uh, what was her feel making that connection and uh, start off? What was that impression? Um, so it's like it's like meeting a hero before you know they're your hero, mm. right? Mm. Um, and then just just watching how she operated and moved um, was very extremely helpful to me. Um, so that um, yeah, you're gonna edit this, right? Oh, keep going, keep going. Okay, uh, well, because I got to kind of disclose to you, um, I haven't spoken to her in like two years because uh -huh. we ended things on a very... Right, right. It wasn't as connected. I Correct, got you. But right. sometimes things happen. Like exactly. Like the flow, but that doesn't Absolutely. mean... What do they say? I'm every extremely goodbye, grateful for it. ain't gone. There you go. You know there what There you I'm go. Saying? Yes. And, and then academia is an interesting space. Ooh, you're um, telling. Especially being black in academia. It's an extremely interesting space. Extremely. Uh, we, we think of, you mentioned Eastern Michigan, um, shout out Dr. Peters, uh, you know, um, and then you, you think about Michigan State, I think uh, Dr. Taylor. Um, mm -hmm. and, I didn't and, get to work with him, but oh my God, Dr. Taylor is like. And, and it's, it's many people. Um, why do you think academia as much as it's, it's like, like on paper, it's like, okay, we're socially progressive, we're liberal. What's the disconnect to actually like ingratiating and empowering so much of, I don't want to say the black faculty, but for lack of better terms, just the, the, the faculty, the students, the people in that space to actually influence and, 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 and be present. Like what becomes some of that disconnect? I think, I think the disconnect comes from like being actually disconnected from the work, right? Mm. Um, so I wasn't a traditional academic um, and, and neither was she. Sort of this like, I, I'd like to think of this like this kind of practitioner thing. So yeah, I have this PhD and I can do the research, but I'm about working with like the kids and I'm more of like, I guess they would say an administrator, but not really. I'm more of like a program person, right? Um, so I was running summer programs, um, and most of my kids, I mean, the programs that I'm working for were like pipeline programs. So we're recruiting kids from Detroit, come to Michigan State, um, become a teacher, go back to Detroit, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm doing that work. I'm, you know, in the schools and recruiting the kids and talking to the parents. We bring them to campus. Um, and that's what I got to do as this academic specialist, right? But there are other folks who are like faculty members. You could stay in East Lansing the whole time and never come to the D. But you can fill your, your, your philanthropy cup by working with these poor kids that come every summer, 
-hmm. right? Or you're getting grants to you get dollars to have programming for like this for kids here, but like you don't really have to get your hands dirty, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that's some of the disconnect. They're they're doing what academics do. They are pontificating on these theories. Um, and no shade to the theorists because that's you know that's hard work too. But the disconnect is because they're disconnected. They're 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 reading and writing and doing theory and having doing experiments, but. Are you working with kids? Are you talking to parents? Um, you know, are you are you judging those parents that you're that you're providing opportunities for their children? Are you um, uh, so so again? Like, I think they 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 think that they're doing well and right for our community, and they are. Um, but the disconnect is the disconnect. They're not technically or they're not on the streets. They're not talking to the people. They're they're in the ivory tower still looking down on us hmm. and that's us looking down on us hmm. if i can be real honest um and as you as you shared that that's unique because i mean i'm wearing my northwestern shirt i'm the president of the northwestern alumni and it's unique even as i sometimes sit in the northwestern meetings um in classic alumni um some heavyweights some giants uh in the school but oftentimes it's theories about what's happening and how school should be. And then it's always what I always bring is like, when's the last time you walked into school? When's the last time you sat in the class? Because some of these theories versus some of the practical things that it, it just, school has changed. Mm -hmm. Northwestern's a, um, which just won its name back from like a long battle of being DCP at Northwestern. So the alumni is very happy about that. And, you know, um, it, it definitely it, it's there in the tradition. But if you graduated from a high school in the 70s, okay, the nature of the average student now is like the, the transient nature, like a school, uh, uh, it's not it's not far fetched for a student maybe to move. Like move residency four or five times in okay. the same school year now. Mm. It's not like they live in this house. They walk down the street to the school. Right. These are the same people you went to elementary school, kindergarten, elementary, mm -hmm. middle, and high school. It's a whole different get down. You know they mama. You know you know what I'm saying. Like you know what I'm saying. We know when people's birthdays is coming up and everything. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it's a whole different culture mm -hmm. of what's going on. You know what I mean. That that I sometimes say like it's. It's phenomenal. Like uh, our Northwestern alumni, we do a Thanksgiving giveaway of food okay. every every year for like the holiday. And we'll find ourselves like gifting maybe I want to say 50 to 75 families, but driving all over, not just the city, uh -huh. but even to the suburbs. Okay. Well, you're like, damn, you coming all the way from way over here? Deep east side to get to the west side? Because you've already started in this semester and the uh -huh. way that things go, like so many things are culturally different right you know and and I, I urge of most people even though you do need a clearance and things like that especially the level of volunteerism you plan on doing at a school but it's just observational just to see what's happening in a school versus probably when you left school because for most people the minute you leave high school you don't ever go back right but you have an idea of how it's supposed to be. And then some of us even romanticize what our high school experience mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and like, you know, you mixing some Saved by the Bell episodes <laughs> in with really what high school was. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, remember when we took over uh, the radio station with Mr. Belden? Like, nah, bruh. That ain't what really <laughs> happened, my We didn't do that. You know, yeah. that is not what happened. So uh, in that in that awakening for, for everybody across the board, you know, how what do you urge for people from the outside in to like just tap into the reality of what's happening in a school today? Um, if I can toot my own horn, do what I'm doing, substitute teach. Get your behind mm. in a classroom, get your behind in a building so you can see. Um, you know, if I can go into a little bit of what I'm trying to do is I want to open a school. So I was like, exactly what you said. I haven't been in the classroom in a long time. I was a preschool teacher in my 20s. That was like 20 years ago. And mm. yeah, I have some ideas of how classrooms should run. And I can walk into a classroom and do a lesson. Um, but if I'm going to build a school that addresses the needs right now, I need to know what's going on right now. And so I have been subbing. I've been in different buildings, some in Detroit, some in Oak Park, you know, all over the area, just trying to, you know, see what is going on. What are the needs now? Now, I can bring all this knowledge that I have about education and what we're supposed to do. But if I can't match what's going on in the context, I'm not going to be helpful. So it's it's getting like you, I'm going to go back to the term that you used, the disconnect, is making the connection, um, doing programs in the, the community. You got to go there if you're going to serve there. You're not really serving, right? So what I would suggest to folks is to get to work, and, volunteer, and be a sub, uh, something. I, I want you to expand upon, you said, know the context. What does that mean? Break that down for us. Know the context. Um, know who you're serving. Know why you're serving. Um, and then think about how you're serving matches the first two. Right? Um, you can't... And you also have to know yourself. Right? Um, a lot of the work that I do is identity work. Figuring out who I am and who I need to be for this context. You know, I did my dissertation on um, middle class white teachers preparing themselves for urban schools. And I was asking them, who are you? How did you grow up? And then who are these children that you're serving? And let's look at this. Um, and then who do you need to be for them? How do you need to change who you are for them to match the who of them? And then where do they live? Where are they coming from? What ideas do you have about that? Uh, and how do those ideas need to change? So the context is, is definitely the who. To me, it's most about the who. Right. Who am I serving? What is the history of this people? What is the history of this city? Um, how the people came to this city? Um, what organizations are already working here? What do my kids go through on a day to day basis? Right. So the context to me, the most important part of the context is the who. Um, and then figuring out like the, the, the history of the, the of the of the area, um, the history and then the present. Because that'll help you figure out what the future is. And then it's their future, whomever you're serving. To me, it's the kid's future, right? So let me ask them what it is that they want. Um, I'm going to tell you what's going on. I'm going to show you how to think. I have some hopes for how I think you should proceed. But at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, this is your future. So you will have to run with it. But I'm going to just give you as many tools as I can um, to make helpful tools so that, you know, the future is bright for all of us. Okay. <clears throat> You just gave a lot of good game. So we, we got to, like, hopefully you guys took a snapshot of that. 
dissertation. What was that? My dissertation um, was about, again, the shortest version is um, who do these middle-class white teachers need to be for our kids? Hmm. And when I say our kids, I mean black and brown kids, uh, mostly from lower income areas. Mm -hmm. um, if I can back up a little bit, um, when I was in a master's program in Michigan State, um, I noticed that all of the folks, I was there full-time, but most folks were there part-time because most of the folks in the master's program were full-time teachers. And I'm sitting in these classes with these full-time teachers and they're talking about kids like me. Mm. Right, and these are, and I'm like, where did y'all become teachers? Y'all still have these crazy ideas about black and brown kids and they were all trained in Michigan State. So I was like, oh, so I need to figure out how Michigan State or how, not even Michigan State, how are these teachers being prepared? So my dissertation was about uh, preparing urban teachers. And we know the stats, 80 to 90, depending on the year, 80 to 90% of teachers are middle-class white females, right? Um, so if these are the folks who are going to be teaching our kids, I need you to, um, I need you to think about who you are. I need you to think about who my children are, our children are, um, and how you need to be, um, who you need to be for them, right? Um, because that 80, 90% is not gonna change, I don't think in my lifetime. Now I'm still trying to get more black and brown teachers, yeah, but at the same time, earlier we were talking about like reality. Yeah, my hope is that one day we'll have, you know, representation that 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 is, uh, equivalent to the reality that in terms of teachers that community. matches right mm -hmm. that matches the community but until then i gotta work with these white girls and make sure that they're not jacking up my kids any more than they already are mm -hmm. um and so um again i was talking about identity work so i was working with them on um the storytelling method right because identity that's what it is i'm telling you i'm telling you a story about who i am or who i think i am i'm telling you a story about all my experiences um so the idea was, well, what are the stories that you tell yourself about who you are? What are the stories that you tell yourself about who your kids are? And what are the stories that you need to tell that you can write? How do you write yourself into a different person, figuratively and metaphorically? How do you write yourself into the person you need to be for this little person? And so that's what we did. We observed their teaching, and they told me the stories about what they were doing. I told them about the stories about what I saw. And then I asked them to write new stories I asked them to write down new stories, but I'm getting them to, to, to metaphorically write down a new story of a new identity of who they need to be for that black and brown kid. Mm. So that was the, the, the essence of the dissertation. Um, and so I was arguing that, you know, um, we write who we are and we can write who we need to be and we can show these so, well, anyone, like all, all lives matter, we can show anyone how to write a new story for themselves, whether it's on a piece of paper or in the actions that you take. Of course, I want it to be the actions that you take, but when you stop and you write down a new story, um, you're more inclined to, to walk a new story. Mm -hmm. And that's unique that you brought all of that up is, um, <clears throat> I've often said this, you know, obviously being black man, I was at one point black boy and school was the first place I, I've said this on other episodes where I felt it was the first place where I felt trapped. Mm. You know, it was the first place where I felt like you can't do this. You can't do that. Wow. And I never was really even given the context of why. And I think culturally things just were like more disconnected. You know, it was so rare to get, especially like a younger uh, black man that's a teacher 
and we, you know, and, and you've probably seen this in schools, like, you know, you almost are attracted, like magnetic around how they move, how, how they even discipline us, how they, it, because it's a context of like, yeah, we're more active. We have more energy. We're going to, you know, different things like, you know, let's do a push-up contest before class starts, which, you know, on paper, it's like, why would you do that for first graders? But that can get that energy off. <clears throat> and now it's like, okay, now I'm ready to do math and focus. I'm not set up to just sit at nine o'clock in the morning and you just talk to me and we going over how to add and subtract. It's like, I, I gotta, I wanna touch something. I wanna, wanna move around. I wanna, you know, do something where it's like, oh, you, you, you're lacking discipline. You, you know what I'm saying? Not, I never was given Ritalin or anything like this, but just from knowing like friends that have mm -hmm. sons and things like that, it, it just often gets diagnosed like this. I was watching something online and I mean, we've seen stories like this before where they're like, you know, look at the sh children that are uh, misbehaving and expect who's going to misbehave most. So it was like, a, you know, the classic black boy, <coughs> uh, white, white girl, uh, black girl and white boy all at a table. Every teacher, and there was some black teachers mm -hmm. even in it, mm -hmm. all said black boy, black mm -hmm. boy, mm -hmm. black boy. And the kids were doing the same the same, same behavior. But it's like if I already walk in with this prejudice and bias that it you're going to do advice. something mm -hmm. that will be, you know, misbehaving. And sometimes it could be misbehaving. But some of that misbehavior is that cry for attention. And just culturally, you know how to respond if you have a cousin that does the same thing. If your son does the same thing, if you have a nephew, if, if your brother, it's like, or it's, or it's not even misbehavior you know. if you understand yeah. who that kid is, right? Yeah. Like you were mentioning, like black boys are, are often targeted because they are, we call them kinesthetic learners, right? Movement, right? So that's why that those push-ups got you ready because we, we move. That's how we do, per, you know, culturally. So that school or those teachers, they didn't understand who you were, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so at first when you said that you felt trapped in the school, I was like, oh, my God, that's so sad. But they're like, no, it makes sense because these schools are set up like prisons, right? They want you to they tell you when to move, how to move. You got to ask permission to go use the bathroom. That's a biological function, right? Um, but not all schools are like that, right? They heavily police us and our bodies in our schools, but go to the suburbs. Those kids, it's a it's a different ball game, mm -hmm. right? Um, our kids, you got to raise your hand and ask politely in a tone that don't piss off an adult if you can go to the bathroom. You go to some of these suburban schools, kids get up, write their name on a piece of paper, go to the bathroom, come back. Mm -hmm. So right, right. It, it's about the setup. It's about not understanding, or maybe they do understand who they want you to be, and they don't want you to be who you could be. So it's, 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 I see how you could be trapped, right? Um, it's, it's about those, those black boys are getting marked even by black and white teachers um, because there's this impl implicit bias, right? Um, you already have in your mind what you think he's going to do mm -hmm. instead of who is this little boy that showed up right in front of me here today? Mm -hmm. People don't want to, I don't know if they don't want to or they don't take the time. Um, and I'm going to indict us educators, right? If you're struggling in the classroom, if you don't take the time to figure out who your kids are, you asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. When I was a teacher, that's the first couple of weeks, we're not adding nothing. We building community. 
because I'm not to spend this whole year yelling at y'all. We about to build a community. Uh, we'll get to the, the reading and writing and the adding all that. Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, but I need to know who you are so that when I see you squirming, you know, at circle time, I'm not going to just cut into you. Okay, I'm going to go through my mental Rolodex. Is he hungry? Is my classroom set up the right way? What are the other distractions, right? Um, who, who is this individual? I know that Billy loves to sit on the number seven and somebody got to the number seven first. That's why he tripping, not just because he trying to get on my nerves, right? Um, but paying attention to who is in front of you um, can save you a whole lot of trouble and it'll keep from, you know, our babies from feeling trapped in school. Now, I guess on the flip side of that, mm -hmm. this is just the business mind. Absolutely. That takes a lot of energy. It does. You know, it, do you think that, you know, so will more money incentivize more teachers to to have that capacity? What What's the incentive to even connect more teachers to, to expend that energy? Because that's, that's like really building like a, that's building real personal connections with each and every student. Money could solve that problem if you pay teachers enough to where they're not having to hustle five different jobs outside of school they would have they would have more capacity to build those relationships if our system valued the relationships between a student and a teacher um, more teachers would do it um, but because like on a, a system level, we don't value the teachers. They don't have the time, their energy, or the finances to be able to do that. Teachers are spending their own money to get supplies for the kids, mm -hmm. right? You know, I'm, teachers are human. I'm mm -hmm. spending my own money, not even a lot of money, and I'm spending my own money for this classroom. And you want me to care? And most teachers, all te most teachers do care, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, money could help with that because then I'm not, I don't have to, hustle and spend all that other energy when I could focus on my kids. So that is a part of the problem. But it's also about how we think about what's going on in these school buildings. That needs to change as well. So yes, money can help. Um, but until we change the way we think about how schools should work, um, the money will be, it'll be a band-aid. Hmm. So, so but it'll definitely help because teachers shouldn't make no less than, oh, I was going to say 60 grand, but that's that's me. That's what I think. I Even mean, first year in the in the grand scheme, I, I I agree with that. I think money will provide a little bit more clarity. So now you're not juggling, and from you know knowing so many teachers, uh, we met through teacher. <laughs> the it's a being a master teacher and a love for it. You you can definitely tell the teachers that like love and are passionate about the work, but it still does take a. a that's a that's one of those tasks. It's not a job that's like on and off. You know what I'm saying? It's not working the line at General Motors. You sometimes may even need to detox, especially depending upon the population of students you're dealing with, because mm -hmm. some of the most, um, as they call it, the the worst schools is Northwestern's label. One of those like right. you, the you're dealing with students that are usually experiencing such, um, you know, just hard things to process at home right. hence the acting out is for the attention probably not given at home um and fulfilling different things that just you know it's like it's a reflection of society exactly and, and i even always used to tell people like you know if we as adults had to for nine months gather for six hours in our community 30 deep 
we think schools are crazy. If that was a, a, a lesson or something, I, I, it would be people would be getting shot every day. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? You know, right. over just, you know what I mean? Because us in some of these same communities, even as adults, like, you know, the, the students are only mimicking and reflecting what they've seen and what they have access to. Absolutely. The school is a microcosm of the larger society, right? So that's why, like, money can help, but schools can't solve all problems, hmm. right? So, yeah, we'll do our school piece, and I'm going to educate kids, um, but whole communities, you know, we can even say the whole nation, the whole world, you know, needs to change. Um, and, I, and I get that that's like a pie in the sky, and that's, a, you know, a, a big idea. But, I mean, it's the truth. The school is just, it, it's, a, it's a picture of of everything else that's going on outside. So yeah, we can address the teacher problem, but we're expecting teachers and schools to solve all of our societal problems. That's not that's that's not how reality works, right? You can't just, you know, you can't just do bicep curls and then expect your whole body to to change, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of like what asking that that question is. So yeah, well, if you get really good at pumping your biceps, what about the rest of the body? The rest of the body needs work, too. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't mean you don't stop doing your bicep curls. Uh, that just means you got to address the whole body. So, yeah, we working on this school thing. But like you mentioned, you know, the kids are coming with so many life challenges. We got to fix those life challenges, too. School can't fix all those life challenges. Um, we can help our kids get equipped so that when they leave the building, they can address those challenges, um, which is why I love project-based learning. Um, but to expect only the, the, the educational route um, to fix things. And I think teachers and education has felt that pressure. Um, it's, it's too easy. It's too easy to say, it's all, we just gotta fix education. If, if, if we just, you know, if, if the, all the kids can just read and write well and they all go to college, well, everybody can't go to college. First of all, there's not enough room for everybody to go to college. And we can get, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but my point was, you know, school is a reflection of the society. School is only one of the cogs in the machine that needs some reworking. Um, but it, it is like... It's an important cog, but it's not the only one. But it, it has become in certain ways like a, like a closet in the room that we don't even think about as if like it will fix this because it's supposed to do this and it, it it should function like that um in another one of the talks and I, i'll be talking i guess to a couple of different educators and this is refreshing in, in a deeper discussion i like it when i start talking more it's like triggering my mind <laughs> but <clears throat> we're at an interesting crossroads right now because mm -hmm. of post-pandemic this post are we really post-pandemic well, but anyway I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's say because wherever we're at, wherever since we're at, right? The pandemic, since okay? it started, okay. But That's since fair. that start, um, I know the schools in Michigan are now going to be open without like uh, half and half learning as of now, and that presents an interesting group for this class of 2023, as this is the class of students that, at the beginning of their school journey, they were. They, they only experienced a little bit like some of these students are going to be interacting with fellow classmates. So it's some new social dynamics of just like the arc of what back to, you know, this ain't saved by the bell. This isn't the arc of the, the high school journey that we all have. Mm -hmm. So that's unique. And also with that, it put a lot of stressors on so many educators. It's a lot of teachers that have walked away from their jobs um, throughout 
the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, to the point where it's certain substitute posts that have like now almost become full time posts, and 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 what's it, it's a is the the system itself is at a unique space of like the educators, the administrators, the students themselves. Nothing like this is has been precedented in our lifetimes. In our lifetime, you know, and I don't, I don't. And at the time of the Spanish flu, public education was not at a point where it was as widely um, a, a widely a public good because we were still more so in the agricultural age at the time, mm. uh, transitioning to the industrial age, which ushered in the 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 movement of public schools across the nation. Um, <clears throat> so the point I'm getting at is, as this is all happening. Just being people in the community, in what ways do people on the outside that may not have a kid at the school or whatever, what ways can we put support? What ways do we help what's happening so our community is empowered by the young people going to that school in our neighborhood? Mm. Ooh. I want to be thoughtful about this. And, and hey, I understand. Take your time because the yeah. question I asked is not that's, like that's, a that's a big one. You know, uh, it, it's not like a you like the red shirt or the blue shirt. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it's interesting though. I should be able to answer this question because you you asked you asked it to me because I don't have a kid in the system, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so. I would ask you to do what I'm trying to do, hmm. which is one, I'll go back to what we talked about before, figuring out who it is that you, you want to serve um, and really understanding who it is that you are serving. Um, get out of your own head, get out on your own. I have, you know, some ideas of what, you know, uh, what it means to be a Detroiter, but I don't know. So go and learn. So first, go and learn. Go and learn about what is going on in whatever context you choose to serve, right? Um, if you want to help in education in the school, go to that school, physically go to that school and ask those people. Don't send an email. Don't call. My introverted self, I love doing that. I love social media. I love it. But sometimes you got to physically go. Mm -hmm. Ask those teachers. Ask those building principals. Ask the Boys and Girls Club. Ask the people who are on the ground doing the work. What's going on here? What do you need? Hmm. Here's my skill set. Here's how I think I can help. Um, but what do you need? Um, I think you got to come from a more humble position than a lot of folks who, who want to help come from. <laughs> a lot of folks who want to help come from like, hey, I know, you know, I know what to do, and I'm gonna come and tell you what to do. I'm gonna yeah, save your neighborhood wanna, if you just sign up for like, my program. They, wanna, they, wanna, they watch the lean on me, and they want to do a Joe lean Clark. On me. They, they want to like, do a Joe Clark. Do it on and do it expeditiously. <laughs> like, no, right? No, don't Joe Clark it. Don't Joe Clark it. <laughs> you need to, to to humble yourself, and and you got two ears and one mouth. So close the mouth, open your ears, open your eyes. 
go figure out for real, for real what's going on. So then you can really be helpful. And you got to let some of your ego go too, right? Hmm. Yeah, I got this idea and I, it's a great idea. And, you know, you know, I'm super smart and I'm Dr. Lee, but that's not my school. And this isn't my neighborhood. Um, not yet, anyway. Um, I want it to be. So how do you do that? Right. Um, you physically go to the neighborhood. You live in the neighborhood. I think there's there's a that's a good idea that, you know, police officers or firefighters or even teachers, you need to live in the neighborhood that you're serving. Um, maybe that's a controversial thing. But like, how else are you going to really genuinely serve a population if you don't know what's going on? If you haven't you know, experienced it in some context, um, I'm not saying that everybody has to live in the city to serve the city, but some folks need to. But even even something like today, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I have my power and my lights on. But it was a storm today. A lot of people lost power and lights. So coming in tomorrow, that's going to be possibly a different. You know, you may have a half and half class. You, you know, may have a half. These half. kids went to sleep. You know, I mean, and it's hot as ever today. It's humid because it's muggy. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, sleeping in a muggy. You know, that's. That's a different experience for that kid. You know what I'm saying? Now walking back into this school with a little bit of AC and some relief, I may not feel like, you know, but if you're not in that space, you don't know. Back. And if you didn't even take the time to understand that your kid might've come from a place with no AC and now they're walking into one, that's a part of that thing about knowing who you're serving. It's real easy to be like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you go to bed? Or why didn't you get up? Why didn't you eat breakfast? It's too easy to say that if you don't know that, Okay, he's eight, and he might be eight at home taking care of himself and some younger siblings. Matter of fact, I had some third graders who were taking care of the younger siblings last, last school year who I saw maybe 10 times between January and June because they were mm -hmm. taking care of their brothers and sisters, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to you know, cut into the kid when he finally shows up to school because he had no control over what's going on. But, but why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you paying attention? Because he's sleepy. He didn't sleep last night. Right. Um, so I'm going I can't I feel like I broke a record, but I'm going back to that. Who if you don't understand the who um, you're doing a disservice. So so it, in this space, this is unique and, and you have something. This is like a great segue into what you're doing. You have something coming up where where you're actually going to to be providing some of your skills, some of some of some some training to little homies some activity what's what's happening uh coming up the third so on saturday we are starting the literacy lounge and what that is it's um once a month we're going to get together and we're going to read aloud to, to little ones and to middle and high schoolers um black books and black authors um, kind of borrowing an idea from freedom schools, right? Children's Defense Fund freedom schools, where they don't teach kids the mechanics of reading, but they 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 inspire a love of learning, which tends to translate into um, higher academic, you know, goals. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do: just get kids excited and passionate, black kids excited and passionate about reading black books. Um, and so this Saturday we've partnered with In Harmony Cafe, which is on Dexter. And at noon we're going to have the Littles, and their book is um, actually Preschool Pals, which was written by a Detroiter, uh, Clarissa Foster. Um, and, and one of our board members is going to read that story, and then we have an activity for them afterwards. And then the high schoolers, we're going to start with um, Jay California Cooper's um, family. Which is a very interesting story about um, an enslaved, um, an enslaved woman, and and just kind of how her family um, managed that. We'll say. 
Okay, that that's unique. What what was on your heart to do this, and and who who's the population? Who is this for? This is well specifically, it's for uh, Black Detroit children or okay. just Black children. Um, and what inspired me is, um, you know, I eventually went to open a school, but again, I'm doing my homework. I'm figuring out the who, um, and this is, you know, I get a chance to work with kids. I get a chance to do what I love with to teach. I get to serve my people. Um, and these are very, you know, I statements and kind of selfish, but, but, um, um, it's an opportunity to do some homework. It's an opportunity to get to know what it is that, um, the kids in Detroit need and in the specific neighborhood because it's in the um, Russell Wood Sullivan area. And that's where I um, personally want to live um, and where I'm committed to um, starting my, my school project. Um, and so specifically it's for black children, a little more generally the black children in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really for anybody who wants to come hear a good story written by some black people. That's unique. So, and and it, have you ever done something like this before? Is this inaugural? Um, it's inaugural for this particular program, but this okay. is the kind of thing that I've been doing um, for years is uh, creating youth programs um, that uh, most of the time serve us. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, this is, you know, I... You know, I kind of say, this is what I do. This is it's not just what I, this is who I am. This oh, is what I came here neat. to do. This is, okay. um, this is not just an occupation. It's a vocation. What, um, so, so, so in this, and that's unique that you say like a literacy camp. I know exactly where that's at. And yes. If you haven't been on Dexter in a long time, it is a cool coffee shop on Dexter. So, um, th this space and that community, that's unique because that is another footprint of a community where my father stays now uh, and I stayed for a long time. It's unique. Uh, I, I think it's uniquely Detroit, exactly. Um, and and it's, it's some, some little homies over that way. You know, I think when I think of that, definitely working with little people, you know, uh, little homies, as I always say, you know, uh, Queen Mother Helen Moore does a lot of work over in that area. I've been trying to and uh and, and we go we gonna we'll link that up okay we'll thank, that you. Up. thank you um and and when when we think of that that style of work and what that what that becomes what that is it's deep that's deep that's deep it's deep but that's also who we are mm -hmm. you know um mary mcleod bethune mm -hmm. she started a school with six kids and a dollar fifty she was selling life insurance to feed her own family while she was building her school. And now we have Bethune-Cookman. Yeah. This is what we do. So, okay, so those stories, like, um, and, and why is it so important that the schools, and I've done a lot of work, you know, GMAC and everything, and we think of the African Center School Movement in Detroit, but why is it so important to have a school built in the image with black leadership and black intention? Why is that so important for you? Please give that definition. Because other spaces are not safe for us. Hmm. Um, and that's not to say that uh, all skin folk are kin folk either. But I am most confident in sp spaces for us by us. Hmm. Um, I'm struggling with this because 
I love the intention of public school. I love what they're supposed to do, but I just don't feel like they're safe spaces for our kids right now. Mm. Um, and it's heartbreaking that even in the city, and not like the teacher that we went through, because she's the bomb, right? Okay. You know, if if the city was full of teachers like her, you know, I could not even like finish this 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 thought. Um, but they're not. There's too many of us who have bought into the white supremacy culture Kool Aid, right? Um, and that's what runs the public school system nationwide. And until we're ready to have that conversation, we need to do. I think we need to do what we did in 1906, you know, with Mary McLeod Bethune pool our resources and take care of our kids, you know, and that's, I'm just, I'm just doing what, what our folks did when we were starting these HBCUs, when we were starting the HBCU, well, the ones that were advocating for us to, to, to be self-determined as opposed to just being, um, continue to be slaves that just were getting paid dollars. Yeah. Th this is, this is, uh, unique that you even speak to that. What, what does that vision look like as now, you know, it's, it's other things. And shout out to Mama Shu, what she's doing with the homework house and uh, leading the camp uh, right now for a lot of people that are looking to homeschool. What would you say in reference to, like, some of those parents looking to homeschool as kind of pseudo connected to the pandemic? A lot of people was homeschooling no matter whether, right. you know, whether you thought you were or not. Because I assume when your kid was online, you as a parent had to be very involved to, you know, I'm with that. I love it. Um, that's one of the things that I hope our organization will will be able to do. I'm calling it homeschool incubation because um, I want to show our parents. First of all, if you're a parent, you're already an educator, right? Whether you know it or not or whether you recognize it or not, you are an educator. You are your child's first educator. You are your child's primary educator. That's part of the reason why there's, some, there's a lot of tension in schools is because, you know, there's this adversary relationship between the school and the home. Um, but the reason why I'm down for homeschools is, again, I'm talking about safe spaces for black and brown kids. And I want to make that the safest space for black and brown kids. Um, and so our parents who are ready to be parent educators, uh, I, you know, I'm ready. And I know there's a tons of folks ready who are ready to help you figure out how to do that. Um, and you can do it in everyday ways. Cooking. Right. That's math. You know, that's science. Right. That's social studies. Right. Taking them to the grocery store again. All of that math, science, social studies, reading, reading yeah. writing. Right. Um, so how do we help, you know, parents who aren't ready, maybe because of the pandemic or because like me, they don't feel like public spaces, public schools are safe for their kids. Um, how do I help you be the best parent educator? Knowing full well. Now, I know about that stress, too, because when the pandemic was happening, um, I was working with a third grader and a kindergartner um, as they were doing their like online school. Right. So I know how stressful that is, <laughs> you know, trying to manage that. And so I want to help parents who want to do the homeschool thing, figure out how to do that. Um, and I'm also trying to get them paid because that's work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of working on a grant like that. But back to the point of like the homeschool, again, to me, it goes back to creating safe spaces for our kids. Um, and if we can in, in the home, I think is I would hope that the home is a safe space. Um, and if it's not, I'm going to help you make it safer so that you can, you can, um, I'm going to say contribute to the revolution <laughs> in your own space. I'm with it. I love it. I love it. Um, and this is a refreshing discussion. You have a lot of theories. I could, I could almost talk to you for that. So we're <laughs> definitely bringing you back to Detroit is different. And there's so many people I want to introduce you to because Please. it was other work 
along these lines in that space that that I've now kind of been engaged in. Um, and and now even before close, I, I really have some of the you, you know is there like a reading list? Is there a um, how should how should now we're talking about the parents? You know, um, as a parent of and let's go little little homies. Let's go like first grade mm-hmm. kindergarten. What where should they be arming their student? Like how can they assist in arming and? And continuing to embrace that whole idea because you're right you're the first teacher so how do you embrace that being that first teacher in that parent capacity as your student now is like really starting the school journey in, in kindergarten or first grade you know? um i would advise those parents to if they're comfortable right if you're comfortable read to your kids every day hmm. get these babies books not the tablet Yes, that can be a supplement, but these babies need books that they can touch um, and pages that they can turn. Um, and, and if you're comfortable leading that activity, yes. If not, bring them to the literacy lounge. I got you. Right, I'll give your baby books. I'll read aloud to them. You can come see me read aloud and learn how to do it. Right? Or if you're comfortable, you want to do the homeschool thing, I'll show you how to read the books to your baby. Right. Um, but at these young age, at the, the, the primary reading and writing, get them to learn these letters, get them to learn these sounds. Um, if you don't know your letters and sound, send them to me. Send, make sure they get to school. I know I just said that public schools aren't safe spaces, but if you're not comfortable um, um, helping them on that academic journey, then make sure they get to school. Just make sure they get to school. Um, and the folks who really care, they will take care of them. Um, I know in every single public school building, there's a there's there's a ton of folks that care. The system is broken, right? But so for the young ones, reading and writing, letters and sounds. You can make flashcards with index cards and a marker. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Stuff like that. You can go to the dollar store and get a bag of letters. Dollar twenty five still because then he went up, <laughs> right? And get a bag of letters and just let the baby play it around, right? Match games, um, reading and writing is what I would focus on for the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Help your baby figure out if you can't do it, if you can't read yourself, find someone who can help that baby learn to read and write. That's unique. That kind of reminds me of like my friend um, daughter, like at six. I got her like the magnets on the refrigerator because my grandma used to always keep those and we just, me and my sister, we play around with them and stuff like that, but we didn't even connect like, oh, this is like a toy, but a teaching tool toy, you know. And then it's like, all right, keep, you know, spell something else, spell something else, spell something else. It was, it was such, so interesting just looking at the kids spell different, you know, hat, cat, mm-hmm. mat, you know, you know, and play around with things. So, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, what about in reference to building a rapport and a relationship with the teacher themselves? How should, how as a parent do I build a relationship with the teacher? Um, so that's a harder question for me because I'm used to coming in from the other end. I, I place the onus on on the educator, the, but but I'm but I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around as a parent because um, I'm I'm on that journey as well is is, is becoming a parent uh, again. And I remember when I was a foster parent. Um, now I'm tapping into that. What are the things that I did? Um, ask, ask what what 
asking that question you just asked me, ask an educator, how as a parent can we partner, can I partner with you? Um, and then being honest, like, okay, well, you know, I'm asking you, I'm coming out on, on a limit. Maybe I had a bad experience as a, you know, as a student and I'm, 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 I'm a parent and I'm here and I'm trying, right? Um, but asking the, the educator what it is that you need me to do for my child um, is helpful. Um, and then I think some self-examination, um, and, and I promise I'll get back to, to the question, but when I say self-examination, think about your own schooling experience as a parent and try not to project that onto your child, right? How often does that happen as parents? It doesn't, right? Yeah. It doesn't. Um, but right. that's what I would ask parents to do. Calculus. That's what Calculus I would ask. in the second grade. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, you asked me what would I would ask parents to do is to, 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 to one, to, um, right, to, if you can, uh, separate your experience from what your child is going through. The same way that teachers need to know who their kids are. Parents know who your kid is as well. Y'all want to come up talking about, well, my son isn't that. But you know, you know your child. And you really think I'm just out here picking on your child. You know your child. Um, stop being so defensive. Right. Um, but that's also when I was saying I put the onus on the educators. We also got to not just contact the parents when the kid is in trouble. Right. It's a two way street. Um, so parents, I would ask that you ask the educators what they need. But then also ask yourself, um, am I projecting my own experience onto to the kid? Um, am I taking, you know, that's that's what I would ask. Um, and then grace. Just give these teachers and in these these schools some grace, um, but also um, keep their feet to the fire, right? Because um, there are some educators just letting our kids go by, right? Be involved. I'd almost rather have a helicopter parent than an absentee parent, because at least I know you're paying attention. Um, but try to get in the middle. Don't be totally out of the picture, but don't be trying to micromanage me because I did go to school to learn how to be a teacher. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So trust my expertise as a professional, but also challenge me um, to make sure that I'm, I'm serving the needs of your child. Be aware of what your child is going through. And, and again, try not to be defensive if, if your child needs an IEP or if a teacher has a concern. Um, listen. And measure it against what you know about your child and then proceed instead of you just picking on my baby or we not doing no IEP and we not doing that. Let go of the stigma, folks. Right. If your child needs services, get those services for those babies. Okay. Right. Um, and if you aren't comfortable doing it, um, ask someone for help. And not just a general ask for help. Um, but that I, you also have to admit that you need help in order to ask for help because we've also come across parents who are like, are you trying to tell me how to run, your, you know, raise my child? Ma'am, all I said was I haven't seen your child in four weeks. Um, and attendance is a part of the issue of why they're struggling academically. You can't take that information and be like, so you're trying to tell me how to run my kid, my, my life? You're trying to tell me? Okay. Where do we go from there? Right. Um, so I would ask, you know, parents to 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 ask the educator what they need, but also um, just do a little self-reflection. Okay. All right. So with that, we we at the end. I got some classic Detroiters, different questions. As an outsider, I got a, I stiffed on the end, but the rest we gonna keep the same sort of. Um, very first car, year, make, and model, and when did you get it? 
very first car. Yes. <laughs> very first car was a black Volkswagen Jetta. Okay. Um, very uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 11th grade okay. um, and I love that car so much I got another one when I went to college okay. <laughs> same color same make okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. yep all right where was the first place you went when you got it uh school mm. yeah sticking on brand yeah did you park it like in a cool place where people can see you pulling up it's like no more taking the bus for me <laughs> I know that's no, it was in the school parking lot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no it's, place it's cool like, like you that. Park, you know what I'm saying? It's like that's where I was. I'm yeah, like, yeah nah, no bus. Nah. I was, that was the that was one of my favorite bus rides ever. You know, it was like it was the I know I'm gonna get my grandma car tomorrow. So it's like I'm looking <laughs> at people on the decks of the bus like, yeah, I won't be with you anymore. Got better things to do. <laughs> then I had to get my car fixed like two months later. <laughs> Back on the bus. <laughs> well, I lost my first car when actually it's so weird. A classmate's mama backed into me, um, not backed oh. into me, hit me from behind on the highway. Ooh. So random and rare. Wow. Yep. Wow. I was like, that's your mama. <laughs> that's your mama. Your mama broke your mama my car. Got me back on the bus. Got me back on the bus. Back on the bus. You know, better public transportation out that way than here, but yes. still, it's, yes. it's still a different, you know what I'm saying, a different flow. Um, okay, and then uh, family reunion happens here. Where's the first place you're taking your family? Maybe not even just the first place. Where are you taking your family if your family reunion was in Detroit and you was planning it? And they're like, oh, you've been out there for so long. All right, we're going to go on into the family reunion there. Um. <laughs> you gonna laugh at me, but we come to Bell Isle and we get on that giant slide. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes, I mean I love Bell Isle. It's beautiful. I'm you know from the Bay Area, so mm -hmm. I'm bringing my people to the water. Okay. We going to Bell Isle and then we going to the River Walk. Okay. Oh, you you doubling down on water? Yes, yes, yes. We got to be near the water. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's like it's like they gonna be like, oh man, and it's like y'all from someplace else, but they gonna feel it. They gonna get that energy. They gonna definitely love Bell Isle. Yeah. You know, so that means that means the cookout happening there and all of that good stuff. All of that. I love it. I love it. So at the end, give your information. How do people get in contact with you? People can get in contact with me via our social media, GLV313. Um, that's our Facebook. That's our IG. That's our Twitter. Um, our website is gracelearningvillage.org. Okay. Um, and you can email me at gracelearningvillage at gmail.com. There we go. Thank you so much. And then also, make sure if you got some kids over in that Russell Woods area, even if they're outside the scope, I don't know what the capacity is and sign up and all of that stuff. I'll put something like in the lower thirds okay. and all of that stuff. But sign up. Be there. Check it out. This is uh, definitely cool. You know you want to do something. Let's, let's start off on a high note. You want to do some engagement with your, with your kid. Don't just let them play video games this Saturday. It's their first full week of school. And don't let them just drift off away from the classroom and be like, hey, I got something else for us. And it's like, oh. <laughs> trying to play this video game mama it'll be fun i promise yes it'll be fun all right peace that is black revolutionaries distillery owners italian fashion retailers and motown grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on detroit is different Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.